You know how there's um, those things out there that just seem way too good to be true, right? Have you seen these? You, you've probably come across some of these, uh, these things. Maybe it's like an advertisement, like, you know, infomercial kind of thing. Uh, I, I thought of just a couple of them that make me kind of chuckle. The first one is an anti-aging cream, right? Anti-aging cream. It seems just too good to be true, right? You put this cream on, apparently, and it, you're supposed to be younger somehow. Stop aging, or at least look like you're a little bit younger, right? That's the idea. But but what what I don't understand is, and I, forgive me, I don't use an anti-aging cream. I need like a look older cream if they have that. But uh, uh, y- y- you put it on every day. It's almost like a daily reminder of your mortality, right? That you actually are aging. So I don't know if that's actually helpful or not. I, maybe some of you can tell me. But it seems too good to be true, but maybe it works. I don't know. I don't use it. There are, have you ever come across these things? Become a millionaire with just this one simple trick. I can tell you the secret. The one simple trick is to have a parent who's a millionaire. Okay, there you go. Just go figure that out and you'll be a millionaire. Great. Okay, or the... <laughs> excuse me. Uh, my laugh caused me to cough. Um, I've been, I've, I've been, you know, I, you know how like it seems like our devices like are always listening. I'm not talking conspiracies up here. It just seems like you talk about something and all of a sudden there's like an ad for that thing, right? So some of you might know, um, and if you don't know, you now do. I, I have like this heart's desire to be able to grow a beard, and it just isn't happening, and it just hasn't been happening. And somehow my phone knows this. And so I'm on Instagram and I'm getting all these advertisements for these, 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 uh, grow a beard in one week remedies. Okay. And get this. This is like my version of an anti-aging cream. I guess they're like, you're supposed to like put this cream on your face. Right. And, and, and then after you, you rub that off, then they have this thing. It looks like a tiller or something, rotary tiller. And you like, you like scrub it on your face and it's supposed to magically make a beard appear. It seems a little too good to be true. <laughs> I have not purchased it. I won't be, just to let you know. Uh, just, we're just, we're just where we're at. Seems too good to be true because it is. It is, right? These things are too good to be true. In fact, there's only one thing that is as true as it is good, that is as good as it is true, and that is the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to look at some things, some false teaching that promises a version of the gospel that may seem like good news, but it's anything but. It is empty. It is void of anything of worth. In fact, it leads not to life, but completely to death. So that's what we're going to look at today. This was the question we drew in our last, for our last week of our series from a hat. So one of you submitted this. We pulled it out last week, and I had a week to get ready for this. So just a nice, easy one. It's fine. Um, (laughs) This is the question. There are a ton of New Testament warnings against false teachers, but then in Philippians, Paul appears to be okay with preachers that have bad motives. So are they false teachers, or did they just have bad motives? Either way, how should we respond? That's what we're navigating together today. And so I'm going to bring some clarity to what false teaching is. We're going to take a look at what is going on in Philippians in this Paul passage, because I have to, because I was told to. And that will give us a guide then for discernment so that we ourselves may not subconsciously believe and fall into the trap of false teachings. Does that sound good? 
You ready? Say, I'm ready. So ready. I heard that. All right. The New Testament. It's pretty amazing if you, if you look at it. Every single book except for one book in the New Testament warns against false teachings. Yeah, every single one. And the, if, if, uh, this could be a Jeopardy question someday, so if you're training, I'll give it to you. The one book that doesn't address false teaching, does anyone have a guess? I, got, I, heard a, I don't think I heard the one. It's Philemon. Philemon. Philemon, which actually was another um, uh, uh, question in the hat I didn't get to pull out, but I'd love to preach on again someday. But, but it makes sense that's not mentioned because that's a very personal, very brief letter. Uh, uh, and so it doesn't fit in that. But every other book in the New Testament warns against false teachings. So I think this is a big deal that we need to pay attention to. You see, we shouldn't be surprised by this. We know the battle between truth and error It's been raging ever since Genesis 3. Remember, the father of lies, Satan, he is the chief of all false teachers. He's the father of lies. And in that garden, he spoke a lie that almost sounded true, and it was believed. And time and time and time again, that same type of thing happens throughout history. So what is false teaching? Here's our working definition for us to hone in on. False teaching is any idea that adds to, take away from, contradicts, or nullifies the teaching, you could also say doctrine, that is, given in the Word of God. Anything outside of this or added to or taken away or twisted in a certain way or that, that is counter to or over and above this, that's false teaching. You might read that and you might go, okay, I get that, no problem. I just won't listen to that kind of teaching. I'll be good. I'm good. No problem. It's not that simple, though, is it? Look at what Paul said in his letter to Timothy, his second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 3-4. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But what will they do? They'll have itching ears that will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth. And they'll wander off into myths. We are so prone to wander. So prone to wander. And it is in our nature to drift away from the truth. That's why elsewhere in Scripture, specifically in Jude, it says we must contend for the truth. To contend. I think this is a very important word for us to latch on to. To contend is to fight. To fight. We do not passively accept anything thrown our way. We, we actively pursue. Because without actively pursuing the truth, we will drift and be drawn into false teachings that suit our own passions and tell us what we want to hear, not what we need to hear. So we're going to look at this Philippians passage, and we're going to see what is going on here. And so a little context. You may remember that Philippians is one of the letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison. So he's in prison, and the main focus of the whole book of Philippians is to, is to, uh, 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 to seek joy in all our circumstances. And he writes this while he's locked up in prison. So let's look at God's true word, Philippians 1, 14 through 18. And because of my chains, 
most of the brothers and sisters, that is, other Jesus followers, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord, and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in change. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Jesus Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Thank God for his true word. So if false teachers are a very real threat, if they do significant damage, what is up with Paul being cool with these people that he's talking about? Like, like he, he's rejoicing in what they are teaching, but he's also kind of pointed out some things in there that didn't sound like something to rejoice over, right? So let's break it down a bit. The first thing we need to note is that the ones Paul is mentioning here, they are indeed brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, they're not just some outsiders. They're not just any of that. They're, they, they are brothers and sisters in the faith. In verse 15, it says, when he says that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill, that some and the others, they point back. In the original Greek, it points back to verse 14, where it talks about the brothers and sisters in Christ that had become confident in the Lord, and they dared all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. That is true for both the ones with pure motives and not-so-good motives, you see. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's important for us to realize, because he's naming them, Paul is naming them as fellow believers. They belong to God. They are not wolves in sheep's clothing, as it says elsewhere in Scripture. They are, they are sheep. They might need a trim, but they're still sheep. The other thing for us to focus on, it's that Christ is the message. Okay, Christ is the message. Verse 15, 17, and 18, three times in quick succession, Paul emphasizes these folks are preaching Christ. They are preaching the true gospel. It's not diluted. It's not truth adjacent. It is the true gospel. That prevents them from falling in the category of being a false teacher. He doesn't name them that. But if they're not false teachers, then what? See, it's not the content that they are preaching, but the motivation behind their message. And namely, for these folks, it's their attitude toward Paul. So we don't know the full specifics of what their motives might be, but we do know some, enough to paint a picture for us. And the first thing that it highlights is that they were preaching out of, did you see those words? Envy and rivalry. Envy and rivalry. The text would indicate they're envious. They're jealous of Paul. And they're trying to see, maybe, perhaps, how they stack up against him. Okay? I want to let you in on this very strange thing it is to be a pastor. Okay? This is a high, holy, beautiful calling. It's also really weird. All right? Can I say that? I did. It's true. Uh, the pastoring, pastoring business is kind of weird. 
Because you have to do, you have to do with some serious and deep work. Without serious and deep continual soul work, us pastors can quickly fall into a place uh, that, that, that's true for any of us and any of the work we're called to where we feel inadequate or we feel like we're not good enough or we feel we, we, we have that imposter syndrome, you know that? And I'm told that never goes away. And the pastor, you know, down the block, clearly they have a whole lot more going on for him because they got like three more cars in the parking lot. And their parking lot's not crumbling beneath those cars. <laughs> Hypothetical. Uh, we, we fall victim to the poison of the comparison game. So all of us pastors... In our human moments, in our weaker moments, we wonder, can we measure up to these other pastors we know? Can I preach like they can preach? Can we do, can we do that? Am I, as, am I as smart as them? Am I, am I, am I clever? You know, am I, can I hold attention good enough? Can we organize worship in a meaningful way? Uh, can, 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 can I give a message where I get really loud, really fast? And then I bring it down real low in a dramatic flare that they will remember. It's weird, right? This is kind of weird stuff. And it can, as you can see, very quickly become this unhealthy thing, this ungodly thing. Your motivations and your focus can shift into an unhealthy place. And these teachers that Paul is talking about, they're not competing with like, you know, Pastor Kevin or Pastor Kurt. It's Paul. They're competing with Paul. You know Paul. Saint Paul. Saint Paul. This is Paul. But Paul's now locked up. And maybe, maybe, out of this unhealthy human side of them, they think, it's my chance. My church is going to double in size. I'll show everyone that I can preach as faithfully as Paul can preach. I'll use his time in prison, God bless him, to further his kingdom, to preach the living daylights out of all of these people, of course, all to the glory of God. <laughs> See, later it says in the text, they preached out of selfish ambition. That was their motivation. Selfish ambition. But Paul, he never once says that what they preached was a false gospel. These teachers, though their motives are wrong, their faithfulness to the truth of God's word was sound, and they delivered the true gospel. And for that reason, Paul rejoices. He knows who the real enemy is. He knows how the enemy invades the church through false teachers. But that is not what is happening here. It's not what is happening here. This is the part that makes him a saint, right? He doesn't care what others think of him. He doesn't care about any of that. He cares about people knowing the good news, the true news of Christ. And he will let the Spirit work out the rest and do the work in these other preachers that, admit that they need to experience and go through. See, the Word of God, when it goes out, it will accomplish its purposes. And that's what happened here. The Word of God went out, and God will accomplish his purposes. But at the same time, because I was told to answer this, what should our response be? It is a good question. What should our response be? That's kind of a weird tension. Those motivations, but the gospel's still good, but the motivations, well, think about it. The reality is we almost never know the motivation behind what someone is saying, right? We only get what they say. It's very hard to know the actual motivation behind it. I could be up here, and my motivation could be, uh, I want them, I, you know, 
Matt made me laugh by saying how funny I am, which brought him, brought him to want to get engaged. Hey, praise God, he used that, right? What if my motivation was up here? I want to get at, I want a standing ovation because of how funny I am today. You don't know that. I could be up here. It's not my motivation, but it could be. We don't know the motivations. We, we can know the content. We can hear what is being said. And what, what, what is, what are they saying? Is it true? Is it true? Is Christ preached? Is it sound theology? Is it on the firm foundation? Then like Paul, we rejoice. We may not know the motivation, but we know the message, and so we rejoice. Paul here, he happened to know their motivations. We're not sure how he knows that. Maybe it was through the early church rumor mill. I don't know, but, but Paul, he knows their motivations, and yet, even still, they preach the truth, which means they didn't let their bad motivations stand in the way of God's good news. And so, because of that, Paul rejoices. We know there is only one who is perfect. Jesus Christ alone is perfect. Jesus Christ alone was without sin. So every preacher, every teacher, aside from him, is sinful. That means that as Paul himself declared, he, he said, you know, he said, I'm the chief of all sinners. I've done it all. But to the glory of God, he still works in and through me, Right? That is all of our prayers. If Christ is preached, if Christ is preached, the true message is preached, his light, right, shines through a broken vessel. It shines through those cracks and those crevices. His word will still go out an imperfect person to accomplish his perfect purposes. It always has. It always has. This entire true word, God used imperfect people through his perfect spirit to bring a perfect and true word to us. And we can trust him in that. We can trust him in that. We can trust him that his light will shine through. So Christ is preached, and Paul rejoices, and we rejoice. But elsewhere in Scripture, Paul does not rejoice when the truth of God's word is twisted. In fact, he's very harsh, as he and us should be. Look at what he says in Galatians 1. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, which is salvation through Christ alone and all of that, let them be under God's curse, as we have already said, meaning I already said it, but I want to make sure you get it. This is important. So now I say it again. If anybody, including me, because he said we earlier, is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. That's how dedicated Paul was to defending and guarding against false teaching. He was willing for God to bring upon himself a curse if he ever shifted away from preaching the true gospel. So we need to talk about false teachers. We have an idea of how dangerous it is, but, but we, we need to look at false teachers. And the first thing to note is they are not all that easy to pick out at first glance. They're not. In Matthew seven fifteen, that's the, the, they come to you as wolves in sheep's clothing, right? From a distance, if that's a good costume, that wolf is going to look like a sheep, especially to another sheep, right? They're going to look like it. You have to get up close. You have to, you have to see them. Because oftentimes, false teachers, they tend to look and sound a lot like normal people, believe it or not. In fact, if they didn't, they'd be cast out of the church quickly. 
there's two common threads within false teaching. And the first is that it's, it's false. It's not true. It's, it's not true. It is, it's not true. The second is that false teaching makes too much of man and too little of God. Think about it. If God is not our God, if God isn't the focus of our life and all we do, if he's not central to our faith and our teaching, then that means someone's sitting in that space, and we've likely put ourselves in that space. Here's a quick look at just four different ways false teachers can, can kind of get their message out, okay? And they're, you'll see that a false teacher will blend these, and this is not all include. There's a lot more than just this, but just to give us a warning sign of some of the ways that, that false teaching comes through. And the first is simply to be a heretic. Anyone who twists the essentials of faith into something they're not and preaches them as if they are true. This comes out in a lot of ways. I've, I've sat and I've listened to preaching that I was so inspired by and excited by. But then later I thought, wait a minute. I went back and listened. And they, sat, they read one line straight from the word. They paraphrased the rest. And then they, they talked about it. And you go back to the text and says, it's not talking about that at all. That's completely untrue. But it was a delivered in the way as if it was God's word. It's not true. And then there's just blatant heresies. For example, one that is pretty commonly preached is the idea of universalism, that they deny Jesus as the only way to get into heaven, that there's multiple ways to heaven. But you can't believe that when you read God's true word, the very words of Jesus Christ, when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no wiggle room there. It is clear as day. The heretic. Then you have the con artist or the fraud or the, the charlatan, if you want. I, and you've probably come across this late night on TV, those infomercials when you're, you're looking at things that seem too good to be true. And then you hear this pastor talking about things that seem too good to be true, right? Uh, where the teacher is motivated by greed and they twist the gospel with the intention to increase their own wealth. And they do this in a tricky, deceiving way. They promise folks often a direct blessing from God if they give now and they give often. My dad used to joke when I first became a pastor. He said, jokingly, he knew this isn't what I would ever say. Uh, give now to the Rev Kev. God loves those who give, so give now to the Rev Kev, right? That's what you said, as a joke. My dad's not a heretic. I think. <laughs> he's not, he's not, forgive me. Um, me. Look at these words. Look at these words in 2 Peter 2. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their false teaching promises that if you give, you yourself will become healthy, you'll become wealthy, you'll become wise. Ooh, doesn't that sound good? But what happens then? What happens then if that's the truth your faith is based on when you give all you've got? and you end up broke, you end up sick, you're in and out of the hospital, you don't have any more food to eat, you're completely down and out, where's your faith now? Because if your faith is dependent on things in this earth, it is all going to crumble away. That's not our cornerstone. That's not our firm foundation. Jesus Christ alone is our firm foundation. And just to clarify, yeah, of course there is, it is a spiritual act to give. We honor and we bless God by giving, 
And we know we're called to live a life of just generosity and sacrifice in the broad sense, right? God calls us to that. That's how he loves us. So we seek to love in that same way. But that does not mean that if you give to the church, then riches upon riches will come back to you in this lifetime. It doesn't say that. Nowhere does it say that. And if you give to me, (laughs) the Rev Kev, (laughs) all your problems are going to go away. No, absolutely not. That is false teaching. That is false teaching. Another way false teachers often masquerade themselves is as the prophet. The prophet. The ones who frequently, commonly, are talking about their dreams and their visions from God, that they receive regular revelation, revelation excuse me, from God. God said this to me. God said this to me. God showed me this. I had a dream about this. And, and it's not just in a healthy, possible way where it actually does happen. It's elevating their dreams and their visions to be on the same level as the written word, authoritative, true word of God, okay? Look at this warning from way back in Jeremiah. I have heard what the prophets say who prophesy lies in my name. They say, I had a dream. I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? How long? It's still happening. It's still happening. It will continue to happen. Now, does God still speak? Absolutely. Of course. Of course. But these folks are hearing and seeing things from God way more frequently than like people like Moses. Okay? Right? Like this is, we we must tread incredibly carefully. Incredibly carefully. Anytime we hear this, and, and then we must take those words as someone who hears possibly right from God, as they ought to do, you then hold it up to the word of God as our final authority, as our guide, as our test against this. We don't create a new scripture. We don't create the book of, insert the blank, to to take what we've heard from God and create a whole new chapter. No, it's all here. Everything we need to know has already been revealed to us in his true word. The last one we'll talk about before we, we take this home, this is a bad title, but it's all I got, the ear tickler, okay? ear tickler. It's a false teacher that cares nothing for what God wants, and they focus only on what people want. These are the pastors, namely, uh, they say what people want to hear. All those things. They, they care about making you happy, and in so doing, they will forsake the truth, completely ignore the danger and the reality of sin. This is what Paul was addressing in 2 Timothy 4, where we talked about um, uh, itching ears and listening only to what suits our own passions. These are the type of folks that will say that grace covers it all, so we don't worry at all about how we live. We talked about this, was it last week? Eat, drink, be merry. No. Or they may say God only cares. His primary care is your happiness. That's not true. That's not true. Now, he cares about your salvation, okay? He, he cares about your life. He cares that you know him. Does he long for you to be happy? Of course he does. Of course, that is fully in line with the character of God. But God through, views things through an eternal lens, not a temporary earthly one. Jesus Christ himself said, we will have trouble in this world, especially if we follow him, okay? He cares about your happiness, but he cares about our true happiness, a joy that can only be found in full surrender to him. Or these type of people will say, hell's not a real place because God is too good to send people to hell. What a very narrow view of our God and the gospel. 
they preach a counterfeit gospel. And this counterfeit gospel, it's often an empty message preached to a sold-out stadium. That's just the smallest tip. The smallest tip of the false teaching iceberg. You see, we could spend all day and then some trying to point out all the different ways false teachers kind of reveal themselves. And we'll still have many more that we missed. But you are starting to see the incredible danger. Remember these two things, that false teachers will be living an ungodly lifestyle. If the truth of God is not centered to their life, then everything that flows out of them is not coming from the word of God. So you have to get close enough to know these people, to see their lives, and see the fruit in their lives. We know that, 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 that that's the test, is the fruit of our lives. Is that, are they an actual sheep, or are those just sheep's clothing? You'll recognize them by their fruits. This is honestly one of the reasons I think it's so important, as you all are doing, to be a part of a local church where you can actually know your pastor. Okay? It's a lot better than just listening to messages from amazing preachers across the globe. That's good, and that's great. But if you saw me and I preached like a message about like, you know, like giving, for instance, and then the deacons are like, homie, you haven't given in four years, that'd be a problem. You would call me out, as you should. I have, we give very faithfully. <laughs> Take it up with the deacons if you need to test it. But, <laughs> excuse me, the fruit reveals our faith, right? You have to get close enough to know the person. And at the same time, false teachers, they will mix heresy in with truth. Okay, it is packaged in an appealing way. Read uh, the book of Jude to really hone in on this. Okay, Jude really takes his head on. It often will sound true. False teaching will often sound true, but it isn't. John Piper said this, Everyone says true things from time to time, even the devil. Remember his temptations of Jesus in the desert? Yeah. And that brings us to our final and primary area of focus in this work. We could try and look at all the different false teachings and all of that, but why would we do that when we have a guide? The first and primary work we must do is the work on ourselves. What do, what do I mean by that? I mean, are we discerning enough to determine truth from error? Meaning, we have to gird ourselves up to discern this true teaching from false teaching. When you know truth— when you know sound doctrine, when you seek to know the heart of God, you are regularly seeking the heart of God. You do not need a master list of false teachers. You will be able to discern through the Spirit for yourselves where teaching goes astray. For instance, uh, does someone have a dollar? Anybody, like, in their pocket right now? Anybody? Does they have a dollar? This is just me trying to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. I promise. Oh, Sally wins the lotto. I'll give this back. Okay. You guys all know this is a dollar. From where you're looking, does this look like a real dollar? You probably believe it's a real dollar because you trust Sally. I trust you too. This is a real dollar. I could look at this. I could say, okay, give me the master list of all the counterfeit bills that have ever been made. And I could look, and it will take me hours because there's a ton. Or I could know the marks of a true dollar bill. And I simply need to hold it up to that. And I'll know. Why am I wasting my time on all this other stuff when I could be basking in the truth of what makes this a dollar? 
That is the story of our faith. Why do we waste all our time with that when we have the truth right here? This is what we are called to know. And this is what we are called to hold up against every single thing you ever hear when it comes to God. I promise you, I am seeking to be as faithful as I possibly can to accurately bring you the word of God. But I am doing it trusting that you're also doing your work by taking my words and holding it up to the word of God yourself. That is the primary task for us because when we know the truth and sound doctrine in the heart of God, we will know when teaching goes astray. We know Jesus is the truth. Said it himself. And to know that truth, you must know God. If you want to know what's true, you must know God. And to know God, you can't just, you can't just hear about it. You have to sit in his very presence and calm yourself before him and submit yourself to him. To know God, then, is to know the truth. We know, as Jesus himself said, the truth will set us free. And the presence of God, the truth of God, will protect us and guard us from all false teachings and anything that goes counter to his way. Psalm 91 says this, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High, that is whoever is seeking the heart of God and resting in his presence, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, he is my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. When you look at the context of this psalm, that's about false prophets, false teachers, okay? He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Friends, we must be diligent. We must be diligent. Look at Pilate as your greatest warning who truth stood before him, and he had to ask, what is true? What is truth? He believed the shouts of the masses over the truth that gently whispered, I am he before him. What is truth? As he stands before you. How do we protect ourselves from believing false teaching? We sit in the presence of God. We come to know the heart of God through the reading of his true word, through prayer and and supplication to our God who loves us dearly. We have to engage with this on our own. This is the sword of the Spirit. In fact, if you haven't brought your Bible to church in a while, I encourage you next week, bring it along. Nancy and I talk about this a lot, but both of us, and some disagree that you shouldn't scribble in your Bible. I understand that and I honor that. I underline things. I write questions that stand out to me. I'm not adding to Scripture. I'm engaging with myself in the Word of Scripture, okay? I encourage you, bring your Bible. Look at it. Look at the in context and see what it means. Contend for the truth. Study His Word. Know His Word. Don't just passively receive it. Actively fight to know the truth. Proverbs 35, every word of God, every single word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. The best way to protect ourselves from false teachers is to contend to know the truth for ourselves. False doctrine prevents godliness, while sound doctrine promotes godliness. False doctrine promotes sin, while sound doctrine prevents sin. False doctrine elevates ungodly leadership, while sound doctrine qualifies godly leadership. 
And false doctrine permits false teachers, <coughs> excuse me, while sound doctrine protects against false teachers. So we, as the people of God, as Hope Church, we will contend for the truth, to know our Lord and Savior. For Jesus, he is the way. He is the what? The truth. And he is the life. We are nothing outside of the one who gave us everything. So we will contend to know him and give him our everything. Name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. We thank you, God, for being the way, the truth, and the life, for showing us the way, for being the only way, for revealing yourself so that we might know how to follow you. Lord, we do pray that we can keep our eyes solely focused on you, that we won't turn left, we won't turn right, but we will keep our eyes on that which matters most. Give us discernment and wisdom as we seek your heart, God, to know your truth, to contend for that truth. Give us the endurance to fight through the confusion and the, and the, and the sweet whispers of nothing, God, so that we might know your bounty that is available in your true word. We long to be people of truth that reflect your light. We long that every time we speak the name of Jesus, that we reflect on that most beautiful and powerful name, that we can do it sincerely and honestly and truthfully. Search our hearts, God, if there are any wrong ways within us, any ways we've gone astray, any teaching we've been listening to that's outside of your word and lead us back into your path. We thank you for your spirit that ensures your word will go forth now and forevermore. We thank you that you are the Lord of our life, our cornerstone, and we give you all thanks, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.